in your own Bibles or in your, on your iPad or phone or wherever you may find yourself available to the Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible there's, and there's one in front of you, it's on page 942. And I would recommend um, when we, there's different genres of uh, Scripture in the Bi- of uh, different genres in the Bible, and uh, sometimes some are easier to grasp by listening. Uh, I would recommend having your Bible open all the time to make sure that I'm not uh, reading out of the newspaper, uh, make sure that I'm not uh, making up some creative story, uh, especially in the book of Romans, or these didactic epistles of Paul or the book of Hebrews, um, it's very important to follow along because looking at my face, you're not going to see those things. Uh, the connections, making notes, especially with as we're looking at chapters, um, well, I mean throughout the whole book of Romans, but in chapter 5 through chapter 8, there's just so many great things to go back and to read and to circle and to see patterns and seeing words. And as I bring up grammar, there's always good to be able to see things connecting with one another and how they relate to one another. And today, we're going to see words repeated, not just one word, but two or three phrases repeated over and over again. And I think it's good visually to be able to see those things. And I, I believe your understanding, your attentiveness, your involvement um, in worship, not just being a spectator or listener, but being able to see God's Word in front of you is so important. So I pray that you will open up to chapter 5 of the book of Romans. <clears throat> and today we are t- looking at our, my last sermon from uh, verses 1 through 11, though there are many uh, sermons that can be uh, made from the text of that these just these 11 verses. So let me pray before I read. Heavenly Father, I humbly come before you this morning being able to read your word, being able to open up your word and Hopefully, Lord, by your spirit and by your grace, be able to unpack some of these words that have been given to us. Because there are things, Lord, that are um, sometimes hard to understand, hard to see. And Lord, your word helps us, and your spirit helps us. And the saints of old, and the scholars, and the preachers, and uh, the people that have expounded on these words for centuries, give us here at Hope Church the ability to understand what is before us. And as Moses said to the people of Israel, these are not idle words, but these are the words of life. And so I pray, Father, that we embrace them, knowing that these have come from you, so that we may know you and know ourselves as we are certainly going to read again today. 
but that, Father, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by your Spirit and, your, and the Holy Spirit's work through the Word. And our love for the Father and our gratitude to the Son, we pray, Father, that you would be with us as we spend our moments together this morning reading this passage. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 1 through 11, chapter 5, the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time God died for the godly, for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been just now justified by faith by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life or in his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, ha we have now received reconciliation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> An appropriate hymn that I think encapsulates, encapsulates this passage and the book of Romans and especially what our, our uh, text art for today is, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross... When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. This is what Paul has been writing to the church in Rome. We're uh, going back and just quickly understanding that uh, this therefore in chapter uh, 5 verse 1 pertains and relates back to the verses 24 and 25. It's always good to go back to the reason why 
these words are there, these connectors are there. And in some translations, it's, you'll, it's interesting to take a look that you'll realize that some of these connectors are not there. And I, the ESV, that translation that we have, does have those connectors there, and other translators as well as uh, more literal translations. The best translation that you can have is the one that you read. Uh, read the Bible as much as possible, and that's the better translation for you. But for study purposes, I really appreciate this, this version because it does bring out these uh, grammar, this grammar, and does bring out these connectors because Paul is saying something, and God wants us to hear something, and for us to then remember what he's been talking about. And so I will do that for us. And that's where we go back to verses 24 and 25 in chapter 4. But he says in verse 23, they, these words were not just written for us, but for ours also. He says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul wants everybody to have the, assur the, the, the assurance, the security of their faith, knowing that there's been a ground or a sense of foundational work that cannot be changed. And that's why he is talking about the resurrection and he's talking about the death of Christ. Because those are the grounds. Those are the very things that we can go back historically and say that they are done and we, they will never be undone. And so he puts the basis for our faith and our assurance something that we cannot lose based upon a reality that has happened in the past. And so that's why he is saying, remember that Christ died. Remember that Christ was raised for your sins and trespasses as well as mine. And we're going to be words in here that he uses the word trespasses and the word sins and iniquity. And I've been uh, speaking on, on Psalm 32 at churches in Psalm 51, and th there's three words for uh, uh, sin in, in, in Hebrew, and the, word, the one word is transgression, and the best way of remembering transgression is to think of trespassing, right? And you understand what trespasses are. If I, we put a sign out front and stay off, that means no trespassing, meaning we don't want anybody to come over the line. We don't want anybody to step over. And that's what a trespass is, or a transgression is, is stepping over the line. That's, that's what happens. We go too far. And then the word sin is the word that means missing the mark. It's like uh, shooting an arrow at a, at a target. Thing is that we don't even hit the target. It's not worrying about the bullseye. We don't even hit the target. And every attempt that we try to do, and this is what uh, Paul was talking about in the previous chapters about uh, being saved by, your, by the law or being saved by works. And he's always saying it, it can't happen. Jew or Gentile, it just can't happen. We can never be good enough. We can never follow the law, even though it is something that 
we should be doing in our lives. This is the, the guardrails that God gives us to stay within the lines, right? Jim, live within the lines. Paint within the lines. Don't go outside the lines. Because this is, it's not what is becoming for someone who I died for, who calls himself a Christian. You may feel like you want to go over the lines, but don't go over the lines. Don't trespass. Don't transgress. Well, sin, again, is trying to please God by our actions and thinking that it depends upon you and me and our, our performance. And there are churches that will teach that. Even though they understand grace, even though they understand the need for Christ, they will still teach that you can lose your salvation because it's based upon your performance. But that's what sin is. And then the other word is iniquity. Iniquity is the perversion. It's the twistedness of our heart. And that's where we, you can use these same thoughts within we, as we look at the Scriptures here today in the New Testament. The same kind of things of stepping over the boundaries, stepping outside of the, of the lines that God wants us to live our life. Uh, missing the mark, thinking that we can please God by our activities, even though it is a part of our life to obey God and to do what God and wants us to do and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, we do what Jesus would do because of what he has done for us. And then realizing that from it all, it's based upon our twisted hearts, our perverted hearts, our hearts that are prone to wander from the God that we love. And so Paul is, is writing this to this church, making sure that everybody's on the same page, understanding that there's nobody more special than anyone based upon their legacy, based upon their ethnicity, based upon anything other than Jesus. And certainly we've gone through lots of cases and lots of phrases and questions in, uh, in, in these chapters 1 through 4. And we've learned in chapter 5 that we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God. And so he's telling us now, because we've been justified, right, we are now legally, it's a legal term, it's a forensic term, meaning that in the courtroom of heaven we are now, we are now found not guilty as if we had never sinned before. It's a declaration by God upon us so that God does never ever looks at our sin, never ever pours on us and punishes us for sin, never pours his wrath upon us. Never have to worry about the judgment of God to separate us from him because that can never happen if we trust in the work of Christ. And so he says this, that we, we've been justified by faith and now we have this peace with God. We now have access to the Lord. It's in, in this new life that we stand. This, we live in grace. And so we stand in this whole new world. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he says we not only rejoice in the hope, which is a sure hope, but we also realize that God is schooling us and dis disciplining us and uses sufferings in our life to build the character that will ultimately show that we have depended upon Christ, that we trust in him in the dark moments of our lives. 
And he says, this character then produces hope. And verse 5, and this hope does not and will never put us to shame. Because our experience is based upon the truth. We do have an experience of life. We cannot base our life in Christ on our experiences or our emotions, but we base it upon doctrine and truth. And from that, we then can have an experience. And that's what he says in verse 5. We, are, we can't put, be put to shame because God's love has been flooded into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's something that's happened for us. Being poured into our hearts is an effect that keeps on going. And I'm so thankful, and I hope you are, too, that the love of God continually is poured into our hearts because there's our se- there are seasons when it seems very dry and our faith is like a drought. And God allows things to take place in our life, and he allows instances and accidents and sins our sins, other sins. He allows catastrophes. He allows unexpected events of life to happen. And we are thankful that God floods by his spirit in our lives, in our in presence, in our hearts, that he floods us. Because there are going to be times when we don't feel it. And we're going to wonder where he is. And so, I'm thankful for the flooding that he pours into our hearts. And then he goes now in verses 6 through 11. And he's going to to be talking about uh, these repeated words. Notice the first thing I'm going to be looking at is he's going to expand what that love is or how that love is shown to us. Because he's going to show who that love has gone to. And notice what he says in verses in these following verses. For while we were still weak, unable, shooting that arrow, shooting that, uh, that obedient act out to please God, missing the mark completely, he says we are weak. And notice what he says, that we are not only weak, He says to us that uh, we are, in that same verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. He is now showing us, these are the recipients of my love. These are people who I died for, but realize that we are the offenders. We are the ones who have offended God. And he says, we have... have, uh, Notice he says here he have, we have uh, been we're weak we're ungodly. Notice in verse eight he says while we were still sinners. Then he goes on and he says that in verse ten for if while we were enemies this is this is who we are in the eyes of God this is who God sees ungodly weak. Nobody wants that. Nobody likes to be told that's who we are. The scriptures teach us that, uh, uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, in Romans 7, that in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. This is the weakness that we are, we are as people. We cannot please God by our own strength. 
In Romans 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That doesn't make us feel good. John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And John says in chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I remember R.C. Sproul talking about the ability of a pail being lowered into the well. And if you waited for that pail to lift itself up, you would die of, star of, of thirst. Because that's who we are. We cannot take ourselves up. We cannot pick ourselves up. We, can, we have no strength in us whatsoever. Someone has to crank that pail up so that we can drink. And that's what God does in us. He draws us to himself. We are dead. Dead people do absolutely nothing. They have, are in unable, enabled. They are weak. John says in chapter 15, And by to me, and I, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Paul writes about sinners. He says in chapter 2 of Timothy, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. For people who are lovers themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un, uh, unpeaceable, uh, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Ephesians tells us, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, once walked. This is talking about us being enemies of God, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of humankind. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in, in mind, you were doing evil deeds. This is who Christ died for. He doesn't die for attractive people. There is nothing attractive to us, to God. There is nothing attractive in us to incline us to God. We are enemies. We are ungodly. This is why he is talking about this love. He wants to expand on this love. Don't think that you are so special that Christ died. He died. We, we are enemies of God. God looks upon us and sees that we deserve death, but yet, for some reason... He died, he sent his son to die. For God so loved the world that he sent. That's the really, that's chapter 3 and verse 16 of John's gospel is 
so well depicted here that his love, he says, was being poured out because at this time, he says, we are weak. We're weak. We are unable to do anything for ourselves. We are ungodly. We are enemies of God. We are sinners. And divine love for the undeserving, that's really the best way to look at that there. The undeserving people, the offenders of God, totally unable. And the reason is because we don't understand sin. We don't understand the, the, the gravity of sin. We don't understand that how bad, we, how bad sin is. And that's why I was giving these messages on uh, chapter of Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 because uh, a, a, uh, Thomas Watson says, we don't, we, we don't know the, the sweetness of Christ until we taste the bitterness of sin. And until we understand what sin is to God, we will never be grateful for what love that God has poured into our hearts through Christ. Remember the woman in the at the woman in uh, John, uh, Luke chapter seven, where she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, and it says this woman loves much because she's been forgiven much. If you've been forgiven little, then you will love little, and that's where the Bible keeps on telling us to our good for our good of what kind of sinners we are and what kind of people we are. That's what. Our tradition in, in the PCA and the Presbyterian Church and other Reformed churches is that we believe in that we are totally unable. The inability of the humanity to be able to choose God or to do what is right in the eyes of God. And so he goes on and he talks about, notice what he says here that's important he says again in these verses, for while we were still weak at the right time. It's not a word like a, 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 your, your second, your watch moving. It's, you know, there are, there are two words in Greek. One is chronos, chronos, which there are, if anybody's worked in a, a shop where you have to punch your clock, uh, punch your time clock, there are chronos, they're called chronos uh, uh, software to be, able to be able to punch a clock to be able to make, mark your time in. And then there's the word kairos. And this is the word that is here. It's like in, in, in at the right time, in the fullness of time, or in, the, in stories, once upon a time. It's a, it's a, it's a time of, of importance, a time of significance, not a click on a clock, not a, of the second hand, not just something that follows one another, but a, a time of importance. At the right time, God sent his son to die. And that's what he's saying, at God's right time, at God's timing. Notice what he says, Christ died. And notice verse 7. These are the, 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 the repeating words here. Notice what he says for, for verse 7. For one will scarcely die, though, perhaps, for a good person, one might even dare to die. But notice he says in verse 8, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, that Christ died. He goes on and he talks about the death of Christ. 
It's important because Christ had to die. Someone had to die. It's taking us back to uh, the, the, um, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Taking us back to the penalty of sin. That someone had to, some innocent victim had to give their life to appease the wrath of God. The whole Old Testament is full of these sacrifices that shows this. Last week, I think Nate talked about Leviticus 16 and the, the Day of Atonement, and we have, we've talked about that. Notice he says here, he goes in verse 9, we've been, therefore, we've been justified by his blood. This is going all the way back. This takes us all the way back to this sacrifice. And even here, in, as we look at uh, chapter 3 of the book of Romans, where it says here, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as this propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This propitiation is this turning away of God's wrath. We looked at with great detail back then, and that's what Leviticus 16 is about, right? The, the uh, uh, putting the, the entire uh, sins of all of Israel upon a goat and sending him out away, taking their sins away, but yet there is still shame and there is still guilt, so a goat has to be killed and blood sprinkled to wash away and to cover our sins. And that's what he is talking about here. These are, this is who we are. We are offenders of God. And what has God done for us? He's lavished us with his love. Verse 9, since therefore we've been justified by faith. Verse 10, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is needed when there are two parties at odds with one another. And we have offended God. God is the offended one, and yet he reaches out to us, as Paul is telling us. He's reached out to us in his, by his grace, not because we are good, but because we are evil in our hearts. It's because we are all the descriptions that Paul has told us. But how can we ever forget who we really are until we go back to chapter 1, verse 18 and following, where he goes on and he says that we're filled with all manner of unrighteousness on verse 29, and evil and covetousness, malice, we're envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, slanders, haters of God, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Disobedient to our parents. Let's not forget that one. Let's not forget from the great to the small. He takes us in that chapter, in those verses. Making sure that everybody realizes that it takes place in all of our hearts. And we are all guilty of it. But yet we are told here that that God has done this for us. And notice, as I use these words, we have been, as we've, I've read these, we've been justified, we were reconciled, we have been reconciled. All these are passive verbs. Now again, does that make a difference? Yeah, it makes a huge difference. 
Because there's a difference between active and passive. And passive means what? It means that someone has done something for us. We can never be reconciled to God on our own. We can never be justified on, with, by, with God on our own. Someone has to do it. And that's why he is saying here, it is very important for you to understand this. Very important to realize that God has done all of this for you and for me. The very ground, the very ground of our justification is the blood of Christ. As he says there in verse 9, since therefore we've been justified by his blood, he was real. He really was a real person. He came in, into this world. He died for our sins. His blood was shed. He gave his and shed his blood for us so that you and I realize that nothing can take away the joy of our salvation. And he goes on to say this. He says, let me, let me assure you of something. This is the logic of your assurance in verse 9. He says, in verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. Well, maybe, you know, I don't know if I die for my enemies, but for somebody I, I care for, somebody I, 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 I care about, somebody who's a decent person, we may try to do whatever we can to save them. This is kind of the, the logic and the, and the question that he throws out there. But he says, God shows his love for us while we were still unworthy and still actively working against him. There's no way that we merit God's love. Actually, what this is telling us is that we're working against God all the time. When we don't know Christ and we come against Christ and we come against God and we don't live for the, to, for, for the Lord, we are actively working against God. So we're never at zero. Our bank account is never at zero with God. We are always ticking down with a negative number, constantly. So we can't hold up anything that we do to please God on our own without Christ. That's what he uses. He says, through Christ. He says the word, through Christ. And Christ died. All these things, making sure that we, we realize this is the love that God has shed upon us. That God has poured into our hearts. But he says here, for if while, in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. If while we were on the other side of God's love, he died for us. He says, then much more. Now that we are reconciled, now that we are friends with God, he says, shall we be saved by his life, but in his life? And this is the assurance that we have. If he died for us, if he's reconciled us, if he's justified us, then where is any fear of losing your salvation? It makes no logical sense. And that's what he's trying to, to point to us here. The logic of Christ doing it means that we never ever have to worry about proving our love to God. Because if we trust in who God is and, how, and trust in who, what Christ has done for us, his work his performance, his obedience, his death, his life, his resurrected life, are now evidences of the payment that has been taken care of for us in Christ. 
And so he is saying here, that's if we base our life upon that, we can never lose our salvation. We will never, ever lose that gift that God has given to us. So we've, we've been told that Christ has died for us. We've been told that we are, we've been justified. We've been reconciled. We've been, we've been uh, uh, reconciled to the Lord. We've been justified by the blood of the Lord, which is the very ground of our salvation. And then he tells us in verse 11 this. He goes back to rejoicing. Remember, in, in, and we've read this, right? In chapter, in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, through him who we have, notice the word through him. Again, there's all these repetitive phrases. Through him we have also obtained access by faith, and we rejoice in the glory of God. In verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. And now in verse 11, he says more than that, more than all of this. He's just saying, you think this is enough, but let me just pile more on and more on top just so that you are assured of how much God loves you. He says more than that, we also rejoice in God. And that's really where we should be sending our rejoicing and be rejoicing in is God himself because we can rejoice in the doctrines of our faith but it's ultimately God who has given us all of these blessings so let's just not rejoice in our doctrine and our theology which is great and the blessings that he's given to us which is great but he says rejoice in God the Father rejoice in God the Son rejoice in God the Holy Spirit Rejoice in the triune God because that's where our love should be focused on. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. God, there is no, therefore no condemnation, we're going to read, for those who are in Christ. We never have to worry about the wrath and the hatred and the anger of God in our life. Now, God may discipline us. We may be stubborn and we may need a season where God brings discipline in our life to guide us, not out of anger, but out of love. And as Psalm 32 says, sometimes it's with a bit and a bridle. Sometimes it's, it's a twisting of a head. It's, I don't know if anybody noticed the uh, Kentucky Derby yesterday, but it was great, wasn't it? The little guy wins, right? No rich money wins, no big rich trainers. A guy, for, I think the number 10 horse uh, from, was one from Mechanicville, the, the owner or something. It's just really good to see small people win these big events. But during, after, the, after the race, the winner, Rich Strike, was just biting that one horse and was just they were they couldn't get enough halters and they couldn't get enough they were pulling on that horse because he just was so wound up i don't know uh that he just kept on biting on that horse that the, the pony that was leading him after he won the race and 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 that's that's how some of us at times in our life god allows by his providence those things to take place in our life but it's done out of love. It's done out of care. It's done out of concern. It's done because he wants us to be transformed into the likeness of his son. So all of that is based upon love. Do not 
do not look and look upon the discipline of of the of of, uh, of the Father. He says of of God with disdain. He says in the writer of Hebrews. So this this love is something that is is full orbed in our life. It's from every aspect of our life that God, as He says here, He says in the we are saved by the life of Christ. In the life of Christ, He's with us. We are saved. We have been saved. And we are being saved. And we will be saved. That's the way the, the scriptures teach us. We've been saved in, by grace in Christ. We are being saved, meaning that the pollution, the sin in our life is being purified, is being taken away through the work of Christ. And so we are being saved through the work of, of sanctification in our life. But we will be saved ultimately because Right now, we aren't expecting our, we are not experiencing eternal life. We are not totally and fully saved, even though in the eyes of God we are. We haven't experienced that yet. So we do become, we come to know Christ. Through our life, we find ourselves the salvation working in our life, but now there's a past, a present, and the future that we will be saved. The day the Lord either returns while we're alive or that he takes us from this world at his time, and we are with him, which is better by far, Paul writes. So I go back again to <clears throat> this hymn. In the last two verses of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The cross is the place that we see the love of God. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were, her, were, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, love so divine, Demands my soul, my life, and my all. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Father, thank you for these words that you've given to us in this great book, the Bible. Thank you for these words in the book of Romans. That, Father, we see this blessing, these assurances, these benefits that we've been given for people who deserve none of it, but yet, by your grace, you've given it to us. And as we are told, as we've read today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that because we've been reconciled, we now are in the ministry of reconciliation. We now present, we now introduce people to Jesus. We now reflect by our, our lives as we gather together on this Sabbath day that we tell the world that we have priorities in our life. And one of them is to worship God on the Sabbath. And that, Lord, you've given us a love for enemies. And that you've given us a love that is self-sacrificing. 
and that you give us a sensitivity to sin that we never had before until you poured your love into our hearts. These are the wares. This are the, these are the fruits that we share with the world. Lord, this is a church. This is a place where you have called us to love one another and to live out this kind of resurrection life in the midst of other people who are sinners like myself, knowing that we make mistakes, knowing that we get it wrong. But yet, Lord, you have given us a ministry of reconciliation to show the world, to tell the world, through your word and through the very historical event of, of Easter and, and of the death of Christ and of your resurrection and of your interceding for us. Lord, I pray that, that you have done this great transaction in our hearts. We who had, we, you who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of you. And so, Lord, may we embrace, may we rejoice, may we find joy in who we are as Christians. May these extraordinary means of grace that you've given to us help us as we live out our ordinary lives. I pray, Father, that you would impress upon us these great great benefits and these arguments that paul brings to us will be needed for us when we question your love when we find ourselves in a drought of our faith that we find and feel we feel that your our our prayers are not being heard that the tide of events going on in our life they're not changing that we find ourselves in a very dry and dark place Lord, your word teaches us, as we've read here today, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We, we're going to read that again in chapter 8. So, Lord, I pray that all of these things that we've read today, spoken of today, will help us as we leave here, that we will be people who live a life and present truth as we the, the morality of the world around us will be led not by our own hearts, but by your word. When we find ourselves struggling with being so at odds with where the world is going, let us not lose heart, but let us remember that all things are in your hands. And how we respond to them with love how we respond to them with care, with, with intelligence. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be reminded of all these blessings that we've been given here and told about today. So Father, go before us. Open up hearts for us to pour the gospel into their hearts. To talk about you, Jesus to love people that are unlovable, to ask for forgiveness when forgiveness is needed, to extend mercy and forgiveness when it is needed and called for. 
So, Lord, we ask you to help us to be like Christ this week because of what you have done for us, Jesus. And we ask it in your name. Amen. We now stand and turn and sing. Number 188, Jesus, I am resting, resting.